So as always, there are a lot of things going on in the world. And, um, um, and so uh, if you, as a student of prophecy, like I am, uh, watch what's going on around you, there's kind of this tension that takes place within us, this, um, uh, this, this, on the one hand, excitement at the prospect that we might be getting right on the doorstep of Christ coming for his church, and then ultimately uh, fulfilling his purposes in, in, uh, in, as, as the Bible describes them, uh, his kingdom coming, his will be done on earth, here, on earth as it is in heaven. These are things we pray for and are encouraged. We're taught by the Lord himself to pray for. And so we naturally get excited at the prospect of seeing those things unfold. However, we also have to balance that with a measure of genuine Christ-like compassion because so often the events that are taking place that are described in Scripture uh, take place in the midst of trouble and sorrow and and uh, catastrophe and that kind of thing. And in particular, I want to look at just a couple of things today, one of which is just such a catastrophe. Uh, no doubt, I can't imagine you would not be aware of the earthquakes that have been taking place uh, this sort of ongoing barrage of seismic activity happening in Turkey and and Syria, right there in the border areas, uh, upwards of five thousand people so far uh, have been killed as a result of these earthquakes, and and not just one earthquake. There was seven point eight. Uh, a friend of mine told me that sort of the measuring of seismic activity has been adjusted over the years. Where some years ago this would have been seen as even over an eight on the Richter scale, but whatever the case, um, you know just <laughs> a huge earthquake thousands and thousands of buildings collapsed you know just the humanitarian trauma of that can't be overlooked and as believers we want to pray for those who are suffering in that way um and recognize that you know while we do on the one hand again get excited at the prospect of of the world moving toward the time when Christ will return and establish his kingdom we do want to also remember again uh, i'll just say it one more time here that um, that these things are unfolding in the midst of great suffering in that uh, in 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 this fallen world, and so we just want to be aware of that and make sure that we um, approach these things appropriately. Again, finding a way to sort of uh, I love what uh, how Tony Evans phrased it. I've used this many many times. Um, uh, he phrased it as living within the eschatological dialectic between the now and the not yet. That's a great, great way to uh, sort of describe the tension that we live in as believers who know what ultimately is going to come when Christ reigns, but also being fully aware that en route to that, there's going to be tremendous suffering, tremendous um, catastrophe in the world, not just in the period of time of the Great Tribulation period, that last three and a half years where we see uh, all of these trumpets and bowls unfolding and, and, and being poured out in wrath upon the earth, uh, but um, even in our day. You know, as, as, uh, uh, well, by way of example, this is one of the things I want to talk about today. I'm going to kind of keep it, try to keep it brief in the spirit of the prophecy brief. Um, uh, let me try and do that today. But, um, the earthquake again in Turkey and, and such and, uh, and Syria with a huge death toll and, and huge destruction and all of this, we want to be praying for that. Um, but we want to be reminded as well that Jesus did describe such things as being indicative of a move toward, uh, the period of time that his disciples were asking him about there at the beginning of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. So if you got your Bible, I'm going to read uh, just a few verses from Matthew 24. Now, you know, for, again, if you're a prophecy student, this is kind of 101 when it comes to uh, Bible prophecy. Matthew 24 is arguably the backbone of New Testament eschatology. It gives us a, a sense of what's going to happen in the last 
uh, period of time, that uh, uh, Daniel's 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble, all these things that happen within the frame of that period of time. Well, Jesus, when answering the question, um, uh, you know, what what are the sign of these things and of the end and of your coming and that, these questions that the disciples asked, in chapter 24, verses 6 through 8, Jesus responded, this way, and and this comes on the heels of what he first des- describes as the first thing uh, that he warned them against, and that was deception. Many false Christs, many saying, "I'm him." Don't be deceived by them. And then he goes on to talk about some other things that we see here in chapter again twenty four, verses six through eight. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Um, This is just the beginning of these things unfolding. Now, there's a couple of ways that we look at things like the earthquakes that are taking place in that part of the world, or for that matter, earthquakes that have been going on, and, and, and there's always earthquakes, there's always wars and rumors of wars, there's always famines, there's always pestilences. And things like that. And so a couple of possible ways to approach this passage uh, come to the fore. One is that um, that Jesus mentioning these things may, by virtue of his mentioning it, be intended to be seen as a great intensifying of these kinds of things. Uh, not just the constant wars and rumors of wars, but very uh, a significant ramping up of that. Not just earthquakes, but a significant uh, increase in this kind of thing. And so that's one way to look at it. Uh, the other way to look at it is that um, because these things are always ongoing, that they are a constant reminder that we should always be ready to see uh, his purposes unfold and that kind of thing. So, But whatever the case, we want to be aware that Jesus did specifically talk about some of these things. And so if, if nothing else, to see a calamity like what has happened here in uh, Turkey and Syria should at least remind us of that which Jesus said as being indicative of the days leading up to his return. And so we want to be paying attention to these things. Um, just to speak a little bit more to some of the practical elements that are happening in that regard, um, Iran, uh, interestingly, uh, has uh, pledged to send relief, and I think is currently underway in sending that relief, I believe, to Turkey and Syria right now. They've pledged it. Uh, there are concerns that have been raised that Iran is going to use this as sort of a ruse to plant weapons and 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 things in in that part of the world as well and in other areas outside of Iran. Um, I personally wonder, and I'm going to pay attention to, uh, in the interest of intrigue, it, whether or not Russia uh, will also offer aid in some capacity. I, I I'm not sure that that will happen because of all the resource they're using in their uh, conflict against Ukraine, but. It may very well be that in an additional effort to uh, sort of, uh, you know, bring together nations, uh, you know, sort of behind her, I, I wonder if Russia is going to do something like that. I say that because in places like Ezekiel 38, uh, matter of fact, we can turn there too, I guess. In uh, Ezekiel 38, the first handful of verses, uh, I'll just read through verses one through six. Oh, and, and also verse 13. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog in the, of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord, uh, the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. Meshech and Tubal, very seemingly speaking of that area that we now call Turkey. 
I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, uh, Iran, um, their cushion put is how it's listed in some of your Bibles here in the New King James. It actually calls them by their modern names, interestingly. Um, and, uh, and, and Libya, um, I'm sorry, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with all of them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, Gomer likely speaking of, uh, of uh, portions of Eastern Europe. Uh, the house of Tagarma, uh, likely speaking of the Armenians. Uh, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. And so it goes on to speak about, uh, and it will go on to describe, again, as God puts the hooks in the jaws of Gog, who is the leader of Magog, and these other nations that have come around here are going to come to battle against Israel one day. Well, I'll point out what I always point out in this, and that is that it is likely that that event does not just sort of happen in a vacuum. But likely what's happening today is that things are being put in place for when that event takes place. Uh, some may hold that this conflict is what's actually described in uh, Revelation 20, when Gog uh, and Magog show up again uh, after the Millennial Kingdom. I, I think this is a separate and earlier event that I think uh, helps to precipitate Daniel's 70th week, leading to ultimately the return of Christ. Um, and I think it's another event that takes place after the Millennium. So um, that being said, um, it is it is very likely, in my view, that uh, whether it's the catastrophe of the earthquakes or whether whether Iran, for example, does exploit this catastrophe as an opportunity to sort of uh, build further roots in other you know countries outside of itself to establish uh, some of the elements that will be in play when when ultimately Ezekiel thirty eight comes to pass. These are just things to pay attention to to watch. Um, uh, you, we always, as believers, have to have our eyes open. And again, this strikes at sort of the idea, uh, this, this connects, I should say, with the idea I mentioned earlier about learning to live in the context of the events that will unfold and the catastrophes that may accompany them along the way, but still living in hope and expectation about Christ returning. So, um, but we don't want to be blind to these things. We want to pay attention and, and read the stories and get the best information that we can. Um, I'm finding that it's you really have to be selective and 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 particular about going about watching, listening uh, from different sources because everybody's got an opinion on this. Everybody knows what's going on, quote unquote. And so we just have to pay attention to what's happening best we can to understand what's happening. Now, we're not going to change what's going to happen. I mean, this, the Bible tells us how this is going to unfold. And so we, for our part, are just trying to be aware of where we are on this timetable. And, and, and by the way, the reason for that is because it should excite us and, and prod us to be about the Lord's business when he comes uh, for us. And so um, we see that phraseology used in regard to Israel and, and, and God's people in, in regard to his chosen people before Christ comes and returns to establish his kingdom. But I would argue that there is valid application of that even to believers who are expecting to be raptured at some point. Um, the rapture will deliver us from God's wrath, but at the same time, that doesn't mean we're not going to experience tribulation of some kind or another here in this world, or at least witness it, if not experience it personally, depending on where you are in the world. But we should be paying attention to these things and seeking to understand them through the lens of Scripture, always again through the lens of Scripture. And so... Um, 
I would pay attention to Iran and its activities in the midst of its helping Turkey and Syria. I would watch to see if maybe Russia makes moves to sort of further build its ties with some of these nations, uh, thus potentially making them even more beholden when the time comes and they all rally around Russia to come against Israel. We know they will. We're just looking at this and wondering if this isn't maybe partly how that may, may happen. One other thing I wanted to cover in this attempt at a brief, prophecy brief, uh, and this is the only other thing I wanted to cover today, was this idea of the Chinese balloon floating over the United States. Um, I I didn't see it personally. Uh, I, I don't know if it flew over Nashville necessarily, but uh, but it made its way across the country, basically, and then was eventually shot down. And, uh, um, you know, and, and this is not new speculation in this regard, but but it's been speculated, and I tend to agree with this, that um, something so uh, brazen to, to, to send a, you know, potentially a surveillance satellite, more will come out about this in the days ahead. They shot it down. They're collecting up all the shrapnel from it and uh, all the debris and such to, to, to analyze it. So we'll find out more in the days ahead. But if, in fact, this is just what it seemed to have been, a Chinese device intended to, to, to provide some surveillance uh, made it across parts of our country, it is staggering that it wouldn't have been shot down before it ever got over our country proper. I mean, once it got into the waters that border us, you think at least at that point it would have been taken down, certainly, uh, you know, not four days in or whatever it turned out to be. Um, but this again, uh, how, what is this, how does this play into biblical prophecy? Is there in fact any connection? There may be, there may be. If, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we learn in Ezekiel 38, and I didn't read verse 13, because I was going to save it till now, but in verse 13 of Ezekiel 38, there's mention of Sheba and Dedan. This is Saudi Arabia. Uh, and the merchants of Tarshish, there is some debate as to who Tarshish is, but by and large, it's generally held that it's referring to England or Britain and all their young lions. So the offspring of these, um, you know, uh, if in terms of uh, Britain, the offspring would be the United States and, you know, Australia and, and you know, that kind of thing. So, uh the, and all their young lines will say to you, to say to who? Say to Gog and Magog and the hordes that are coming, uh, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Uh, now, what's in view in that is that these nations that are named here, Sheba, Dida, and Tarshish, and their young lines, Saudi Arabia, potentially England, and other Western countries that were spawned from Britain, um, it is interesting that they're not getting involved directly in the conflict. They are condemning it seemingly, or questioning it at least. Condemning it might be too strong, but they're at least sort of speaking out against it, it would seem. Um, but they're not actively engaging in the conflict. They're not coming with the hordes against Israel, but they also don't really seem to be standing against these hordes as they come against Israel either. And that raises some questions, mostly in regard to the young lines of Tarshish. Um, we have seen in modern days, whether it be through the Abraham Accords uh, or whatever's developed since, in regard to the relationship between Israel and Saudi Arabia, uh, there seems to be friendlier relationships than there had traditionally been. It's not like it's not completely untenuous, but um, but it is, you know, <coughs> steps have been taken to begin to... Um, or to further relationships there. Um, Britain, you know, is Britain, um, you know, I don't mean that 
in, as an aspersion. I just, but, um, but if the young lions do in fact, if Tarshish does in fact refer to Britain and the young lions therefore would refer to the United States, it raises a very, to me, obvious question. How is it that the United States, who is partnering with Israel as its democratic partner in the region in the Middle East, by to varying degrees, but but we have a connection democratically in that way, sharing a similar philosophy of governance, and, and as America has traditionally been about the business of furthering democracy around the world, how is it that when these nations come against Israel that we don't come to her aid? We don't, other than potentially condemning the attacks, which, you know, um, doesn't really mean anything. But why, why is it we're not sending arms or sending troops or, uh, or making threats to defend her uh, against uh, any comers? And so we don't seem to be doing that if we're in view. Again, I'll emphasize if we're in view in that passage. By the way, if we're not in view in that passage, there is no other nearly direct reference to the United States anywhere in Scripture. So if we are involved in last day's prophecy, which we will be, regardless of whether we show up in Scripture or not, we will exist during that time, presumably. And if we are, then we will be affected by what's happening. So how is it that the United States doesn't engage on Israel's behalf during this? Well, a number of theories. You know, we've talked about this before. I'll just bring it up since this may be relevant here. Um, there's a number of possible scenarios. Some of the more obvious and generally popular scenarios among prophecy buffs is that we're taken out somehow. We are neutralized in some way, whether it's through a nuclear exchange or whether uh, an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP, is, is uh, detonated uh, in the atmosphere above the United States and it just wipes out our capacity to interact and get involved in it. That could be. Um, it could very well be that we are... Um, and this tends to be more my thinking on it, um, I'm becoming more opened up to this possibility as days go by, that we just become irrelevant. We no longer have the wherewithal or the maybe the resources to come to aid with our democratic partner in the region. We may just not be capable of doing such things, not because of a military attack necessarily, but in regard to something like China, it may be for economic reasons that we're unable to do this. Consider for a moment that China owns uh, an enormous portion of our now $31 trillion, uh, well, as of yesterday, I think it was $31 trillion debt. Um, China owns a lot of that, a lot of that. Um, if this scenario unfolds, and uh, there's already some kind of harsh rhetoric going back and forth a little bit between China and the United States about this device and the fact that we're collecting up all the debris from it, um, the fact that China felt emboldened enough to do this and didn't seem to care what we thought about it, um, it bears testimony to the fact that we don't seem to have the um, the wherewithal to respond to this like a superpower would. We don't seem to have the ability uh, or or the the you know the backbone to shoot this thing down before it ever crosses into our airspace. Um, and on top of that. <clears throat> um, the fact that we don't maybe want to stick China in the eye very much with anything. Um, what's happening now is probably basically expected protocol, but no real ramping up taking place. And it may very well be because we don't want to take on China because they own all our debt. There may be some process throughout that that ends up costing us dearly to where we're not able to really function like we're used to going forward. 
Another possibility in this uh, in this area would be um, our uh, our support, uh, quite dramatic financial and military support for Ukraine against Russia, uh, who at some point is likely going to lose its patience. Um, you know, I, I don't personally believe any of the rhetoric that makes it seem like Ukraine is actually a formidable foe against Russia. I think that Russia could, if it wanted to, escalate to a you know, to a, to a level that would just end this thing quickly if they wanted to. Well, geopolitical repercussions of that would certainly affect us. Uh, if we're defending Ukraine and, and Russia were to act out and lash out in a, uh, in a, in a, uh, a dramatic fashion, it may take out American troops or, or, or American advisors who are there training on the use of, of gear and that kind of thing. It might, we might be affected in some way there where we're now all of a sudden we either have to engage against Russia or we basically lose all face because we're not prepared to. These are just musings. I, I don't have an inside guy at the Pentagon. I don't, you know, that kind of thing. But as just the average observer like you, like you are, I just, we want to take a look at what's going on and just in our minds, allow ourselves to play a little bit of chess with this and, and, and see if maybe there's something here that we don't want to miss. And so that's what I'm suggesting with some of these things. I'm not trying to be over dramatic about it. And as always, I never want to be sensationalized about it, but these are just legitimate possibilities that could grow out of this. And I think it's worth mulling over a little bit. So that being said, as I mentioned, I just want to talk about a couple of things here briefly uh, in this regard. And so there you go. And some things to think about. I'll put a couple of links down in the bottom so that you can follow up on some of this as well. Um, but it's not hard to find information on the earthquakes and that, and everybody's talking about the Chinese balloon and all that kind of thing. So it's not hard to find anything on these things. But um, but passages you'll want to read in Scripture, again, Ezekiel 38 is always important. I would read the whole chapter, uh, 38 and 39. Um, I would actually say 36 through 39 uh, to, to bring Israel's restoration back into the uh, into the interview as well um, and I would read Matthew 24 and really acquaint yourself with it and and I would even encourage I know some people don't would not agree with me on this but I I would read it with the understanding that the church is not in view at all so the things you're reading about are going to have to do with Israel centrally not that there wouldn't be believers on the world during that time. Some will get saved after the rapture. There will be people during that time on the earth who are born-again believers. Uh, certainly the events that are described there are going to affect everybody. But Israel is clearly in focus as the main primary focus of that passage. And so uh, when you read it, uh, study it and and pick it apart and, and figure out how it works and all that kind of thing. It's worth taking time on uh, to understand that passage. Uh, and it's partner passages, by the way, in uh, Mark chapter 13 and uh, Luke 21. These are parallel uh, accounts of Jesus sharing this information. They're not all the same sermon, uh, but they, uh, they, they are essentially the same sermon given in, um, uh, in a couple of different contexts. So that being said, um, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, do pay attention. Watch what's going on around us. And again, pray about how you might prayerfully uh, sort of walk between, again, the, 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 the expectation, the glorious expectation, that expectation which we should be embracing and living uh, in great excitement about with all that is going to happen prior to us getting there. 
Uh, again, we never want to lose our sense of compassion, even though we are certainly our excitement is being stoked at what's going on around us. So again, just a few thoughts to share with y'all. And uh, I'll try to make it even briefer next time. I didn't really do it. But um, anyway, I'll try harder next time. But uh, Father, we thank you for giving us eyes to see what's going on around us. We pray that you would help us to be like the sons of Issachar, who were aware of what was going on. They pay attention to what was going on around them, and they responded to it. Uh, Lord, we want to be those who um, are not like those who were indicted by Jesus at his first coming when they did not recognize the signs of the times uh, regarding his first coming. Help us not to be blind to the signs of the times of his second coming. Help us to be aware. Help us to be paying attention. And help us to be prayerful about it and help us to keep our hands on the plow and continue to work where you've called us to, that we might make a difference for you in time that hopefully will touch lives where it will actually make a difference in eternity. So, Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for all you've done for us, all that you're doing, all that is yet to come. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.